Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So again on the podcast, I've talked many, many times about martial arts. And I was walking with my friend who's joined judo about a year and a half, maybe almost two years now he's been doing it. And the guys at our club are saying, you should go for your black belt test. So he started asking me, do you think I'm ready? Do you think I'm capable? I said, yeah, yeah, you should go ahead and try it. I mean, worst case scenario, you don't win the fights and you don't get your black belt right now. You can get it later. He was under the misunderstanding that most people are that black belt means you're good. Here's the thing. Black belt means you have mastered, and that's where they usually stop the sentence, which is incorrect. A black belt means you have mastered the basics. So if you think about the system, in Japan, there's just two levels of white belt and then black belt. In Canada, it's different. I'll get into the differences in a second. But you have Ikunikyu, so that's like level one, level two white belt, and then you would be a black belt, and then it would be Shodan, which is like first black belt, Nidan, second black belt, and then you just count up until you get to 10, but you don't get 10 unless you die. Who is fighting for the first level black belt? So the easiest way to explain it is white belts suck. They just don't know enough. They're not good enough. They haven't learned enough. EQ, the lowest level white belt, so you would have to fight other white belts, other inexperienced people who don't know very much to get Nikyu. You beat a bunch of other people who are terrible at the sport. It means you're not that terrible at the sport. You're not good. I mean, again, this is going to come up a bunch of times, but you're not good yet. So who are you fighting to get that first black belt? You're fighting a bunch of people who are also not terrible. And again, not good yet, but they're not terrible. And you will see the numbers dwindle. So you beat another, a bunch of other people who aren't good at this martial art, and you get your black belt. And this is where I see the actual challenge begins, because now people are getting functional. So shodan means you are... You have mastered the basics. You understand the sport. You can do a, probably multiple moves. You might only be good at one or two, but you can do a bunch of things. So now you're fighting another bunch of people for your Nidan, your second degree black belt. But now people are actually getting good. So this is something I had to explain that black belts in most martial arts does not actually mean you're good at that martial art yet. You're probably adequate. You're probably okay. It's not until you get your second degree, third degree black belt that you're actually significant. You're actually good. So I told the story way back when about losing my black belt in Japan. I came to Japan with a black belt from Canada and they took it away from me because I hadn't done my test here and I had to redo all my tests. But of course, the testing was really unfair because here I was an international competitor with lots of experience. I tore through these poor low-level belts. It wasn't even funny. It's funny now as a story, but it wasn't funny in the moment. Certainly, I don't know if it's funny for those guys. But what I found is that black belts in Japan are all right. Second degree black belts in Japan are quite good. And then after that, you're getting like the, the guys in the Olympics, they're third and fourth. 
By the time you get to fifth and sixth degree black belt, you're actually probably past the competitive stage in your life and you're getting belts for teaching, things like that. But because of the level system, you are only defeating other bad people to get that black belt in the first place. If you can beat a bunch of bad people, it doesn't mean you're good in any real way. It means you've mastered the basics, which is what I'm saying a first degree black belt is. Now that takes away a lot of the mysticism of the black belt and the whole system because people say, I'm a black belt. And then the, the immediate reaction will be like, woo, wow, he must be good. But when I hear someone's a black belt, I'm like, oh, he must be okay. Until I hear he's done competitions and won a series of competitions until he's gotten multiple black belts, then I start to make the assumption that he's actually quite good. In Canada, the system is different. It's white, yellow, orange, green, blue, brown, black, and then second degree, third degree. What I found is that Canadian black belts, and probably American as well, first degree black belts, were significantly better than Japanese first degree black belts. But Japanese second degree black belts significantly outclassed North American second degree black belts. So for me, the goal was to get at least my second degree black belt in Japan before I stopped testing. Because I'm already getting old. I didn't really want to go through the testing too much. And the actual test isn't too bad. There's some fighting. There's some formal demonstrations and stuff. I was fine with all that, but there's a paper test. And I don't read well enough to be successful on the paper test. So I was terrified of the paper test every time we had to do it. So once I got my second degree black belt back, I didn't really care if I got my third and fourth. But yeah, just to be honest and take away a little bit of the mystic nature of the whole black belt system, when you hear that someone's a black belt, don't immediately assume they're good, immediately assume they're not the worst. But I think these kind of conversations, these kind of honest examinations of what things really are, is something that's missing. And sure, there is sort of a, a sexy mysticism to getting a black belt, but I think it's actually better if people really know what it is and understand the reality. So they too could aspire and actually understand, like, I can get this, I can do this. So Cora question, my 13-year-old son is threatening to break his old MacBook unless I buy him a brand new MacBook Pro. What should I do? Um, this is a very odd threat because the kid is threatening to break something he has that he obviously wants an upgrade to. If you don't give in and he breaks it, what happens? So I honestly would let him go ahead and break it and I just wouldn't buy him a new MacBook Pro. And when he says he needs a computer to work with, I would say, well, I gave you a MacBook. I mean, you're the one who decided to break it. I don't know why you thought that would be a viable threat. Now you have a choice. You can go get it repaired or you can save up money and go buy your own because I've already spent that money. I'm not spending it again. There do seem to be consistent questions on Quora of kids threatening their parents and the parents not seeming to know what to do about it. Now there are a different set of issues there. You've gotten into a situation where the child seems to be comfortable threatening you as an adult. Now, I have two kids, and I can tell you they would never threaten me because the consequences would be swift, firm, and sure. But in this situation, if my kid walked up to me and said, you gave me this laptop, I'm going to break it if you don't buy me a new laptop, I would say, go ahead and not buy them a new laptop. They can't make you pay for things. And now they can't do their homework or something because it sounds like the MacBook is somehow essential to study or some other need. So I'm assuming it's what the kid does his homework on, but he's only 13 years old, so he's not really doing much for school would require a MacBook specifically. So I would guess 
that the things he needs to do on the MacBook Pro, the upgrade, are all socially oriented. Either it's to show that he has social status by having a better computer, or he wants to do things like become a YouTuber, and he wants a better, more powerful computer to do it with. None of that is anything I care about, and I have no need to help them with. But if you want to be a more positive parent, what you should actually do is say, let's set up a system where you can earn a new MacBook Pro. So you have to do things. So it could be get a certain grades in school. It could be some sort of helping around the house. It could be doing some kind of work. That is between you and the kid. And it should be a form of negotiation because negotiation is very good for kids. It's very good for their mental process. It's very good to learn that if they actually do things and follow through, there are rewards. Whereas if they don't, there is sort of, there's a negation. They don't get punished, but they don't get the thing they wanted to get. And that failure is something that parents try to protect their kids from. I try to do it. It's an instinctual thing. It's because you want to have your kids be happy all the time. But failure is really good for kids. But for me, the first thing, the first problem to actually take care of is the fact that the kid is comfortable threatening you. And I would say, okay, dude, go ahead. Break your MacBook. In fact, give it to me. I'll break it for you. And I bet the minute I put my hands on his MacBook, he realizes that he is about to lose the thing he has. And I'm not going to buy him a new one. But if I actually went through and broke it, I bet the kid's tone would change to, you broke my MacBook, you have to now buy me a new MacBook. Because this sounds like the kind of shitty attitude this kid has. And shitty attitudes, might I add, are generally learned from the parents anyways. So that's a secondary problem as well. Maybe you have to fix your attitude. Maybe you've demonstrated this to the kid. Maybe you've shown the kid this is how you get what you want in the world. So that's something you have to fix on your part. But if my kid ever threatened me in this way... I would say, go ahead, man. I do not care at all. Would you rather eat ice cream flavored poop or poop flavored ice cream? To me, the, con the conceptual issue here is actual health. So if you're eating the ice cream, you know it's technically safe, but if you have to ingest it and then feel sick, you probably throw up because it's bad tasting because it tastes, I assume also smells like poop. I think the smell is going to be the worst part of the poop because it's the anticipation it creates before you eat it. So my actual only question is, if I eat the ice cream flavored poop, I know I'd be able to eat it, but would I get physically sick afterwards? Because I know there are animals that eat poop regularly and they don't get sick. And there's different kinds of poop. Poop from a herbivore, while again, we wouldn't want to eat it, probably wouldn't make you sick because it's mostly based on grass and grains and things like that. In fact, there might even be some nutritional value there. Now, I think really the issue, the problem with the question here is that the question has not, has not been explicit enough in how much you have to eat. If it's a tiny, tiny dollop, I would absolutely just choose the ice cream flavored poop because I could just choke it down really fast. And if it's just a little bit, I don't think I'd get sick. I think maybe what they're saying is a full-on ice cream cone or a large amount. And that's where it becomes a bit of a question because if it was poop flavored ice cream, I don't think it would be possible to choke it down. But am I obligated to finish it? So there's a couple of issues here that need to be explained to me before I can actually make a proper decision as to which one I would do. Because if I don't have to finish it, and I just want to maintain my health, I might choose the poop-flavored ice cream, take a couple tastes of it, probably be sick and throw up or whatever, but then I'm finished. If you have the ice cream-flavored poop and you can choke it down, there is just the question of how sick will I get? So without knowledge, a better understanding of how the poop flavored ice cream was made or how the ice cream flavored poop was made, 
it's almost impossible to answer this question honestly. Because my instinct is, go for the ice cream flavored poop, because I assume you have to finish it. There's some kind of impetus here. You don't create this kind of situation if you don't finish the task at hand. I would take the one that I know I could choke down. The only question then is how sick will I get? So to really, to be able to make a decision in this way, we need a couple of more factors included in the question, sort of the structure of the whole scenario. We need volume. We need impetus. We need consequence. Because without that information, it's very difficult for me to answer. If it's just a tiny bit, yeah, I will take the poop-flavored ice cream. If it's a lot, I actually think I might go for the ice, ice cream-flavored poop. Because, again, I'm going back to the assumption that I have to actually finish the bowl I've been given of either substance. And if I have to finish it, if I have to be able to keep it in my body for a certain amount of time, the taste and the flavor is going to be very important. Now, of course, it is going to make me sick, but I think you're going to get sick either way. But if your goal is to finish the ice cream, then you need to be able to finish it. There is maybe a secondary issue that they're saying, we're going to change all ice cream for the rest of eternity. So it's going to be all ice cream flavored poop or poop flavored ice cream. In which case I would choose the poop again. And I'd choose the poop again because if you eat ice cream regularly, I think your body would adapt. It would adjust. And then maybe even then you would stop thinking about it as poop. It would just be ice cream. If you have a would you rather question you would like me to answer, please email to velocipodcast.gmail.com and I will give it some serious thought because it requires no research, like the dumb minotaur question. There was a question that was posted to Reddit, which I actually found really interesting. It was, uh, what is a level one bad guy in real life? Now, I didn't read any of the answers because I didn't want to be influenced by anything that was said on Reddit. Now, the first thing you need to do is actually define a level one human being. And I would actually think most people instinctually would start with a child. So a child is not got a lot of skill sets, they're not very capable, that kind of thing, and that therefore would equate to level one. And then when you become an adult, you'd be like, let's say level five or level 10 or something like that. I actually think that is sort of incorrect. I think kids would be at a negative level. So level zero, level one would actually be the starting point for human beings. So I think when you're around 16, 17, or 18 is when you would hit level one because you would be a functional, capable human being. Now, there are Olympiads and whatnot, and I know a lot of like gymnasts and things. They're, they tend to be younger. They're in their teens, maybe early 20s. Their careers end at 25. But they almost would be anomalies. Because my thinking is a level one person would be young and have no real skill set yet. So those kids who started training for the Olympics when they were 13, 14 years old and go to the Olympics when they're 16, they've had some sort of buff given to them. So that's a different, unique situation. Because what I was thinking is imagine the example of an untrained layman fighting a boxer, a professional boxer. So the professional boxer would be very high level if we're talking about fighting stats because that's actually how this question was kind of framed. Like a level one bad guy, clearly the bad guy is the thing you have to fight to, be, to, to defeat, to gain the XP, the experience, to move up levels. So the pro boxer would be a very high level enemy and him fighting an untrained layman 
would be kind of like a very high level enemy fighting a very low level enemy. So that's why I figured adulthood was going to have to be a baseline factor. Now it would have to still be young. That's why I chose sort of mid to late teens. Because your development in the early stages in most games, if that's the, the context we're using this in, increases quickly at the beginning and then spreads out plateaus as you get to the higher levels. You need more XP to go from level 50 to 51 as you would from level 1 to level 2 to level 3. The other thing to take into account is if you are level 1 and the bad guy's level 1, you're actually equivalent, which means the level 1 bad guy is just as dangerous to you when you're at level 1. So again, a layman versus another layman, they are equivalent. They, they have the same chance of beating each other. So that would also have to go into adulthood because if I am a level one human being, and let's say I'm, again, 16 years old, and a little kid runs up to me, I could beat him probably very easily because he's smaller and weaker. That's why I wanted to put children at a minus level or maybe they haven't finished developing. They haven't finished their character creation yet. Even though level two would be very low level, if I was still at level one, a level two enemy would be twice as strong as me and still very difficult for me to beat. Whereas if something was level 50, unimaginable. So professional fighters would have to be the high level enemies. Laymen, untrained laymen, would have to be the low level enemies. A, a completely untrained regular person seems like the best choice for the level one enemy. And then any amount of training after that would increase their level, just as it would for me. So I started, let's say, 15, 16 years old. I was completely untrained. I couldn't fight anyone. I would have slap fights. I wouldn't know what to do uh, if someone attacked me. If I was fighting someone else who was equivalent, it was a 50-50 shot as to who would win. But once I had some training and I'd gotten up to level two, level three, those level one guys aren't much of a challenge anymore. So when we get to the level, we get to the mid-teens and we get to the 20s and 30s, most games have a level cap around 50. And that gives you a really good spread between the beginning and the end. Because once you're at level 45 and you go back to that starting area where you fight the level 1 guys, because I answered this question, I immediately translated it into judo terms because judo is something I understand. It actually has levels. Something I've talked about many times is the different levels, the white belts, the black belts, etc. And then when I had to redo my black belt test in Japan, they swapped out my belt. They took away my black belt and maybe put on a white belt and actually fight other white belts to get the points that I needed to be able to do the test to get my black belt back. Now, the thing is, that didn't actually decrease my level. It was sort of a costume change, but it didn't decrease my actual skill set. So it was very much me, a level, let's say, 30 guy in this game fighting level one guys these guys had no experience maybe they had gotten to level two but the only thing i remember was every fight ended in about 30 seconds provided me with no experience at all which is very realistic because i would i was it was not a fair fight again this is the, i always feel like it's a weird kind of brag that i could beat these guys but it's, it's it's not what it is it was just unfair i had years and years and years of experience and i was fighting guys who had no experience and so defeating them was a foregone conclusion because the fight was unfair from the start i was level 20 30 40 they were level one two three so the scariest part of that experience for me was, what if I actually make a mistake and lose? 
because that would have been a horrible embarrassment. Now, realistically, that was never really on the table, but in the back of my mind, that still rolled around because imagine you are a level 40 character and you go into a game area with level ones and they manage to beat you. You would feel like, oh man, I really messed that up. I didn't know what I was doing. So to define the level one bad guy, I think the first thing to remember is a level one bad guy could kill a level one good guy. The good guy being you in this case, I assume. But a level one bad guy should be easy to beat once you have any form of real training, which is up to your level a little bit. So it would have to be an untrained layman and someone who hasn't developed a lot physically and has no buffs. So like those Olympiads I was mentioning earlier. But I want to take out kids because, first of all, it's hard to make a kid a bad guy. I know there are bullies and bad kids and stuff out there, but they're not really bad guys in the same context as the expression when it's used in video game culture. So they kind of have to be adults or approaching adulthood. That's where the baseline comes from, is what is our baseline between zero and one? Because kids, I think, are at level zero. And then when they finally finish developing, they would hit level one. That's why I chose that kind of range in the teen years, because that's when you finish growing, you finish sort of, your body can start to develop, you can start to get a lot bigger, you can start to get a lot stronger, you start to train in a different way and make significant improvements to your own physical abilities. So my definition of a level one bad guy in real life, an untrained late teenager because I, as a, an equivalent at that age, would, it would be a very fair fight. Whereas if I had a couple years on the kid, I'd probably be able to beat him just because of a certain amount of knowledge. If I had training on the kid, I should be able to beat him because of that. And that's why it becomes very clear a level one. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Eh, no, I'm going to cut all that out.